hello and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Norris. I serve as the senior pastor at Perimeter Church. And uh, I'm joined today by Jimmy Kim to my right and Caleb Click again to my left as they have been teaching in this series that we're going to be digging deeper into today, which is the series we've been in in the book of Acts, the second part of this series, um, where we've been covering Acts chapter 9. Uh, through um, Acts chapter 18. And so the three of us have been teaching through that. And the idea of this podcast, the whole hope of it is that it would be a time where for about 30 minutes, we just sit here together and we try to dig deeper on some of the themes, or at least maybe just one theme that we've brought out in the context of the series. And so uh, what we want to do today is we want to I'm going to try to pull a thread through what has been taught so far in this series. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, most likely we will have taught through the rest of the series as we're recording this a few days before Caleb will preach the final sermon in the Radical Renewal series. Um, and he'll be teaching from Acts chapter 18. Uh, and one of the threads that we're pulling all throughout each of these eight weeks of the series is uh, this theme uh, maybe summed up with the word unexpected, that um, that God is writing a story for the early church. Uh, he wrote a story for the early church that as we look at it, and certainly for them in the moment, I, we would imagine, was very unexpected. It was not how perhaps we would write the story. It reminds me of you know asking the question, what what makes a good book? What makes a, a good book good? What makes a good movie good? What is it that we go, oh my goodness? It's usually based on an unexpected turn, something that we didn't expect to happen. We didn't see coming. Um, we go, yeah, if I were writing that, I probably would not have written that. I wouldn't have thought of it that way or developed the plot that way. And and we see that, you know, Jimmy, we were talking before the before we hit record on this. And and as I said that, you yelled out Sixth you, Sense. Sixth Sense. Yeah. And you said, I see dead people. I right? see dead people. <laughs> you know, what a famous, if you've seen that movie, what a famous part there where we realize, oh my goodness, this there's been something happening here that was totally unexpected. Um, and we see that theme in the book of Acts, uh, beginning really right at the very beginning of the series. Caleb, you you started us off in Acts chapter 9, uh, teaching through that completely unexpected conversion of Saul, mm. right? Of that this man who had been the greatest antagonist of the church, the one who was killing and, and seeking to kill Christians, and here he has this uh, dramatic conversion as he as Jesus appears to him and and um, uh, dramatic twist in the story, if you will, uh, unexpected plot twist. Um, the very next chapter, Acts chapter 10, we get into something else unexpected where the gospel now is going to go through Peter to the Gentiles, which uh, we see in the, in the conversion of Cornelius there in Caesarea and his whole family. Uh, the next couple of chapters, as you get into... Um, the recounting of that in Acts 11, but then into Acts chapter 12, and we see that the, the, the chapter starts in a very bleak way. James is beheaded. Herod is ruling the day. He's triumphing, and Peter's imprisoned. Uh, 
the church is gathered together in Mark's home and they're praying and most likely, now this is a guess on my part, but most likely they're praying prayers of like, oh my goodness, Lord, please deliver Peter. If not, I guess this whole church thing is just going to fall apart. We've lost two of the three of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. What's going down here? And by the end of the chapter, by the end of chapter 12, we see an unexpected turn where now it's Herod who is killed by God himself. Peter is miraculously delivered and the church is triumphing and moving forward. Uh, You move into um, Acts 13 and 14, and you continue to see more unexpected occurrences happening as Paul goes on to his first missionary journey. Uh, you get into Acts chapter 15 and you see the, the unexpected inclusion of even further inclusion of the Gentiles uh, and the gospel of grace moving forward. Circumcision is not needed, a defining moment in the progression of the expansion of the kingdom through the church. Uh, you get into 16 and there's this unexpected path, if you will, of being led by the Spirit where we see uh, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy uh, embarking on the second missionary journey and being so sensitively led by the Spirit that they're going in a different direction than they were planning to. Uh, You get then into uh, Paul's journey that takes him ultimately into Athens and the unexpected invitation to go before the Areopagus, to, to, to be a, in the midst of that council presenting a gospel that he's contextualizing to help them understand that who we're talking about here is not just another Greek God, but the God of the universe. Uh, and so there's just all this. And, and then, Caleb, where you're headed this coming Sunday, again, by the time you all listen to this, Caleb will have already preached this, but just even Paul, that unexpected fear that he's going to be experiencing as he goes into Corinth and the weakness and the trembling that he's going to be experiencing, how God's going to meet him in that and supply his every need um, and be the power and the sufficiency uh, for Paul and the calling that he's given him. So this theme of unexpected, right? Um, I'd love to hear from you guys real quick as you hear me just even walk through kind of a recap of those chapters that we've walked through in this series. What stood out to you? What, what, as you read through and maybe even prepared for the, the, the part that you taught, um, what was unexpected for you? What, what grabbed you in this kind of, in this way? Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. <clears throat> just as you were describing what you just did, it hit me. I've never actually thought about this until literally just now. So whatever comes out of my mouth, if it's something, you know, risky for everybody, forgive me. But it's such a weird thing that the very first one of the disciples that dies is one of the inner circle. Like how unexpected that Jesus invests the most in three guys and the first one that gets taken out is one of the three. Mm, yeah. Like that's a very strange twist. And not 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 just the, it's unexpected that Peter escapes in the way that he does, that the Lord sets him free. It's unexpected that Herod ends up getting eaten by worms. It's unexpected mm. that all these conversions are happening. But like that the, the death of James seems on the surface just like an absolute failure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not like the the gospel's advancing, the kingdom is moving forward, and it doesn't. It's interesting in that it doesn't actually give you, at least in my memory, I don't think the text gives you a, a reason that he dies or, no. or anything that full, like clearly redemptive that comes out of it. Even though we know we have confidence in God's sovereignty that there is, 
But mm-hmm. th- I mean, in some ways, that's that's indicative of a lot of life. You, the the people and the places that you think God is going to use most prominently, sometimes yeah, they're just removed. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. And even as observers to this story that's unfolding, it's possible to look at the death of James and say, "Well, what what was yeah? Like you said, what's the point of that?" And yeah. Was his life of any value to the ongoing message that is being unraveled in this storyline? And I think that's the temptation that we often fall into is like, okay, well, if I were writing the story, I wouldn't have done that. I would have made it more, I would have made his role more prominent. Or I would have made it much more significant, you know, so that his death had more meaning in a sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is, is I'm looking back even at chapter 12, the beginning there, James, the death of James gets one verse. It's, it's uh, verse two. He killed James, talking about Herod. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's it. Yeah. So here you have James, one of the inner circle, one of the dearest friends of Jesus while he was during his ministry on earth. And, and one of the apostles, right? One of the leaders of the early church. And he gets one verse. It, and so there's that unexpected, A, the unexpected death of James itself. But then even Luke, the writer of Acts, just going, you know, yeah, James, they killed James. Uh, but here's here's what God is still doing in, in progressing the movement of his church, right? The the right. growth and expansion of his kingdom. Right. Through the story the is not about James. It's not about James. That's yeah. it, right? And it doesn't mean that James's life had no value. Of course not. But it reminds me of the saying that I think, oh gosh, I should have looked this up, but I think it was... Um, I think I'm going to say Hudson Taylor, but I may be wrong. But uh, where it says that God buries his workmen, but can but continues the work, mm. um, and that's just that's that's what he's always done, yeah. right? And and because the story's not about us, mm-hmm. it's about him, his glory, his that's kingdom, right. the church triumphing. That's right. So on and so forth. Yeah. Well, what else? What else did that? Did that? Well, I'm I'm still back on James. James has <laughs> just got my attention right now. I just for some reason this popped. Just really striking me is. If you just had Peter, his story, you could you could possibly be deceived into thinking that God's just going to constantly deliver his people from things that are hard mm-hmm. and just remove them from it. And James is a reminder that there is, you don't know the day or the hour, and the Lord is the one who is sovereign over those things. We can be faithful with the time we have, and we, we don't know. He doesn't promise right. to spare us from all harm or all yeah. pain. And even, you know, Peter is eventually going to die. Like not, right. not in this moment, but later on. And the same with Paul. Paul is spared harm at certain points. And then other times he's sent into the arms of death. Like he's yeah. told, mm-hmm. you're going to be imprisoned. Uh, so it's just, a, I think, a good reminder for us to remember that the Lord is uh, the path he takes us on may not be the one we expect it to be, but no matter what it is, uh, we can trust in his faithfulness. I mean, I think that the fact that you're preaching a resurrected Christ means James's life is not over. It's right. not ended. Right. Um, even if that he's he still experiences that temporal harm and there's pain in the life of the body and seeing that happen. So you're you're hitting on something there, Caleb. That um, I want to I want to jump into a little deeper. Yeah. Because you're you're. You're really touching on there where where we went in week six of this series of uh, kind of the unexpected path of a spirit-filled life or a spirit-led life. Um, some of the, a couple of things that you just said there is really important of uh, that you you know God in the way that He's writing the story of the church and the story of our lives individually is that He's going to often by the Spirit who indwells within us. 
uh, lead us down paths that we wouldn't have anticipated. Um, he's going to lead us into suffering that we would not have chosen or that we would not have said, yeah, that that's how I would want yeah. this to go or see it going. Um, and he's going to call us to things that are hard, right? Sometimes, and yeah. to your point, Caleb, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes he's going to, this the story he's writing is going to be, there's going to be deliverance. There's going to be rescue yeah. circumstantially. And then other times it's going to be. Yeah. He's going to call us to go into the arms of death. That's right. And yeah. And that's so part of it. So one of the things, one of the questions that I asked during the series for us to consider, I asked three questions in, in that week six sermon. And, and they basically all revolved around the, the idea of spirit led surrender Spirit-led sensitivity and spirit-led suffering. And what does it look like? One of the key questions is, what does it look like? And, and let's think about for our current context. Uh, and you think about this theme of unexpected. We, we have been in the unexpected. We've been in the unexpected for the last 14 to 15 months. Um, we're still in it, right? It's not like we're out of this unexpected. We're coming out of the shadows of COVID, but there's still a lot of things that we just go, yeah, I'm not sure what this is going to look like. Um, and so we think about our current context and, and that issue that was going on in Acts chapter 16, where um, Paul has just, here's just to recap real quickly, Paul has just gone to battle for the gospel of grace in Acts chapter 15, that the Jewish um, emphasis on the, on the Mosaic law and circumcision is not needed for salvation. Right, that that's that is Christ alone. It's faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. So he's just gone to battle. You do not have. If you're a Gentile, you do not have to be circumcised to be brought into the family of God. It is not a requirement for, for salvation. Yet, chapter sixteen opens, and what's the first thing he does? <laughs> right. Hey Timothy, he's, guess what? <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah and, and I joked on stage. First but century I was, surgery. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like I would love to have been there for that conversation. Like. 20-year-old, probably somewhere around 20-year-old Timothy's going, wait, you, what? You want me to do? <laughs> and, and Paul is saying, look, man, I would imagine the conversation went something like this. You and I know that circumcision is not needed for salvation, but I am going to need you to be circumcised because if you're not, our Jewish audience is not going to hear the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, and I think there was a secondary motive as well, uh, also, for the sake of unity with our Jewish brothers who have believed upon Christ and aren't holding to sal- aren't holding to circumcision for salvation, but it is a part of the Jewish culture. I I want you to get your your you don't have to be, but I want you to for the sake of church unity and for the sake of uh, for the gospel going forward. And uh, and Timothy does it which I think speaks volumes of Timothy's faith. Yeah. Right? Well, and it would, you know, the barrier to circumcision for someone that's from a background like his, where he's Jewish mother, Greek father, is it's not just the physical pain of that process, but there's a, in the Gentile world, there's a loss of social standing. Like totally. you don't, mm-hmm. circumcision is looked down upon in that world. So in order to gain an audience with a Jewish one, he's actually losing social standing in, in the Gentile point. one, yep. which is one that we don't think about typically because we're not... We don't live in that world. And right. n- none of us are going around asking people if they're circumcised for the most right. part. But in that right. that era, that's a, that's a thing. Sure. Um, especially if you're uh, prominent in those those social circles. And so there's this with that such a good point, Caleb. With that, there's there's this very real 
surrendering of rights. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Of like, I'm going to die yeah. to what I have a right to. You know, Timothy could have very well said to Paul, no, I don't have to be circumcised. Right. I, I'm free. And then you you couple this with Paul's writing in, in 1 Corinthians 9, where he right. says, look, I'm, I am free, but I've made my, myself a slave to everyone. Yeah. To the Jew, I became like a Jew, to the Gentile, like a Gentile, to those under the law, like those under the law, to those, you know, so on and so forth. Why? So that I may become all things to all people, to all men, so that they might be saved. So there was this very real um, surrendering of rights that was at the forefront of Paul's thinking that really permeated his ministry. Mm -hmm. So here's the question. Um, In a context that we live in right now, and not just right now, in a a context that really um, is life in America, we love our rights and rightfully so. I mean, in in the sense of we have some beautiful rights in this country, but what does it look like for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of unity of the church? What does it begin to look like to surrender our rights? Well, you know, Jimmy, you're about to talk, but go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I remember a sermon I heard years ago, um, and it was, you know, the, the pastor was talking about climbing the social ladder and how the orientation for most people on this ladder is how do I get up the ladder? And you know, the big reversal or the big flip or the 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 twist in the, the sermon was why are we always oriented going up socially versus what we actually see in the gospels, what we're seeing throughout the the letter of Acts or you know the the story of Acts is that you see Christians constantly going down, mm. right? In order to help those who are beneath them positionally, so to say, yeah. and have them come up. How yeah. do we elevate others, right? And I remember stopping that recording and just thinking, I do this all the time. Not the going down, but I'm always looking up and I want to get up to that next level. I want to get up to this. Do that in video games. We do that in yeah. social media. I do that all sorts of things. How do I level up is what my kids would often right. say, yeah. Yeah. right? As opposed to how do I actually go down so that I can help those we don't do it naturally because it's inconvenient. Yeah. Right. It's that's hard. And you talk about um, what is it? Uh, Spirit led surrender. Why don't we do that? Well, I don't want to lose that control. Right. Right. I, I, maybe I'll do it if I'm going to win someone else's approval or someone sees me and I'm going to get rewarded for it. Maybe I'll do that. But typically, we don't want to lose that power. We don't want to lose that control. the The fear of the unknown and the uncertainty and the discomfort is just too great. So why choose it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Reminds me of that uh, the clip of that spoof website I sent you a couple days ago, Jeff, about uh, boundaries with God. Oh, yeah. They were making a... I thought a, it was real. I was, <laughs> I was about to lose my mind. If you don't know what we're talking about, there's a famous book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud, and I think it's Townsend versus about how we need to learn to set boundaries with people in order to love them better. And the joke was, well, where else do we need boundaries more than with God? Because there's a power imbalance and he can claim everything. So we got to make oh sure God. that we've set the lines in the sand before God <laughs> takes too much from us. And just, just, to, just to interject quickly... Caleb sends me this link to this. this it's a spoof. It's a spoof. It's, a, it's an article that looks very real, but it's not real. And I thought it was. And it was all about like, it was telling about the premise of the book. And the premise of the book was us being able to tell God, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not going to do it. And I'm going, no, 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 no. He's, he's God. It, what, you do what he says. Like, <laughs> Anyway, it was, it was 
totally not helpful for anything we're talking about here just popped in my head but one of the things that i think fits really well with what you're saying jimmy and i was what was popping to mind earlier is i i've been thinking a lot lately about what role does love of neighbor make in our does it play in our everyday decision making like in most of our decisions are we thinking first how does this impact my neighbor and does it care for them are we thinking first about what does it first give me and then if the benefit to me is greater than uh, it is great then we go well I'm just going to do it no matter what it does to somebody else that's not a christian decision right and i wonder how many like in 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 business in uh, things all sorts of decisions, the love of neighbors should be a prominent matrix through which we think through what we're going to do with our lives, with our possessions, with our uh, uh, the, the things that are uh, we take part in. I mean, it, it should influence everything. And I would I would even say not prominent, but primary. Yeah. Right? It, love of God and love of neighbors should be the two things. Love the yeah. Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's, um, it is so, like when we say, when we make statements like, the current of the kingdom of God uh, r- runs headlong in the opposite direction of the current of the way of the world. Like, I, I don't know that we really believe, or I don't know how to say this. Like, there's there's something within me that's just like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, kingdom of God, different than, than the world around me and the culture around me. But then it's just like, you, at least in my head and heart, it's so easy to just kind of dismiss that of like, yeah, I know that's true. Yeah. But then... What does it really look like to live that way? It, it's, I'll tell you this, it's very different than how I typically live, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to where what is the uh, what is the uncommon reality is that, yeah, every now and then I'll be thinking first about my neighbor. Yeah. Or thinking first about what what really pleases the Lord in this particular situation. What does it look like if that becomes the norm? That's not the uncommon reality. It's the common reality yeah. for me, for every believer that's going, hey, you know what? When Jesus said, if you want to be first, you must first be last. He actually meant that. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't a euphemism. That, yeah. that was like, like he's being serious. That was, yeah. that was directive. It was like, this is how yeah. the kingdom of God operates. And, and if the church got that, if we would get that, what, how? How drastically different would things look yeah. in our own lives and certainly in, in all the things that we touch and all the places that we go in lives and relationships that we have? Um, man, I just think it would be monumental. It'd be not to be not to be cheesy, but it would be radical, like we're talking about in this series. There, there would be a radical renewal happening through the church that I think we dream about, that we just go, man, that would be amazing if that would happen. And I, sometimes I just wonder if God's going, well, I've kind of told you well, how he, that happens. He didn't know? just tell us, he showed us, he right? Showed in the person, yeah, the yeah. work of Christ. He he did that very thing. He who was first and preeminent came down to be like us, Yeah, right? That's that's what's mind-blowing about all this is that we're expected to do this, and we, you know, we've been taught this over the last several weeks, and how quickly do we then jump to all right, well, then I guess I got to work. And I feel really bad because yeah. I'm not that great at loving my neighbor. Ah, and then you just kind of go through this bad cycle of, I got to just try harder. I got to do better without looking first to, all right, well, Christ did this and I can accomplish this only yeah. through him. Right. Right. Otherwise, it is just guilt-induced, yep. fear-induced. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and that can be, uh, that can lead to greater problems down the road. Um, 
in the name of loving our neighbor, yeah. right? If we're doing it under our own power, that can be very problematic. Yeah, let me let me push in one further direction with this. You know, you get to end the end of chapter sixteen, and uh, what's happened in between is is Paul wants to go up into Asia. And he wants to go into this place where he knows no one's ever heard of the gospel. And of course, everywhere he's going, he knows that he's getting to share the gospel with people who've never heard of it. But he wants to go up into Asia, and all the scripture tells us is that the Holy Spirit forbid him and said no. And he says, okay, well, we'll, we'll turn a little bit east, but we'll still go north or west, but, and we'll still go north uh, up into Bithynia. And all, all it says is that the Spirit of Jesus said no, wouldn't let him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's so the point being there was a sensitivity to the spirits leading that Paul was very in tune with, and so he obeyed, and he ends up going due west across the Aegean Sea, and winds up in Philippi. Now, when he gets to Philippi, this is the part that I want to zoom in on here for just a few minutes. He gets to Philippi. You see the conversion of Lydia, which is a really awesome story that we just I didn't get to dig in. To on the um, uh, on the Sunday morning, and then I don't know that we'll even have time to hear. We maybe a couple of thoughts we can share on that. But then he gets arrested. He gets taken into custody, and he gets he and Silas get thrown into prison. Um, before they're thrown into prison, though, they're beaten. Oh, and if slave girls converted, slave girls converted. That's right. Yeah, yeah another unexpected conversion yeah, and yeah, yeah. dramatic conversion. Um. And that's why they're thrown into prison because the the slave girl owners are they like, upset. yeah, you, they get upset. They're like, you just took all our money. This is the greatest conversion life. story ever because because Paul's annoyed. That's the reason it yeah. happens. He gets annoyed, <laughs> and so he casts out a demon. <laughs> that's right. That is so true. Like, this girl's following us around. Like we got to get her to be quiet. Motivation for, <laughs> it says that she follows him around for three days, and then it says, and then Paul, greatly annoyed, turns around and says, "Leave her." Um, so yeah. How fun would it be, by the way, to be able to like, yeah, I cast out a demon one time just because I was frustrated. <laughs> I, was, I was annoyed. She wouldn't, she wouldn't stop uh, calling out that we were carrying around the gospel with us. Uh, anyway, so that's why he gets thrown into prison, right? Because he took away the livelihood of these, of these owners of this girl. And he and Silas are in prison. But before that, they get beaten with rods. And um, the Greek text indicates it was a severe beating. And what's fascinating to me, and I've read Acts 16 many, many, many times, but it never dawned on me until this last time preparing for that sermon, that it was at the end of 16, after he had been miraculously delivered by the Spirit of God, he and Silas set free from prison. They've converted the Philippian jailer through that miraculous delivery from prison. And they're still with the magistrates, though. They're still, like, the magistrates are still going, what do we do with these guys? And it's at that point that Paul says, hey, by the way, we're Roman citizens and you had no right to beat us. And they go, oh, well, we didn't know that. And you, you, they get scared at that point and say, well, you, you can go. And it just dawns on me in a fresh way that Paul could have played that card much earlier. At the very beginning, he could have said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And it probably would have resulted in them going, oh, well, you're free to go. And he could have avoided the suffering but we know from Paul's writings that he counts it a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. And what, okay, so that's the question. What, what does that look like? But Caleb, what, well, what yeah, do you my, see it? Like, I don't know if this is going the direction you wanted to, but this is just where my head went is, it, you know, whether he intentionally withheld that information 
or in the heat of the moment, just couldn't get people to hear him. Like we oh, just don't know. Like he's getting. That's a good point. Yeah. It sounds like chaos, right? Like they're they're inflicting many blows upon them. They throw them into prison. Like that doesn't sound like like a gentle transition. <laughs> yeah. Like this. this Nobody's sounds like, listening, right? Yeah. Like this is like they're dragging him, kicking and screaming. Uh, but it's also fascinating that if if he had not gotten that information out earlier, he never would have encountered the Philippian jailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so God and His providence, through unexpected means, places him in the orbit of again someone that you would not expect to join. The, the body of Christ. You've already got a slave girl. You've already got Lydia. And now you've got this violent jailer who's probably an ex-soldier who's retired into this job. And Paul does this other really weird thing is not only does he lay down his rights by not saying that he's a citizen, whether intentionally or unintentionally, however that happens. Right. But when God through an earthquake breaks open the doors, Paul can just run. Yeah. And because Paul knows that if he runs, that means the jailer's going to kill himself, Paul stays. Yep. And so he, again, lays down his rights. He has no, it, I mean, as far as I can see, there's nothing in the text that says he has confidence that, hey, if I stay here, this jailer's going to be converted. He only stays because he thinks this guy is going to be spared. The yeah. conversion's like the cherry on top. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a care for this guy. This one, my freedom is not as important as this man's life. And ultimately, he joins him as a brother in Christ. You're yeah. like, man, what a, what a beautiful picture. That whole chapter... Acts 16, it's just all this continual laying down of rights. Yeah. Uh, not thinking of self. Yeah. Right? It's, it's really profound just to sit in it and think about the implications of... And, and Caleb, you'll talk about this yeah. in, the, in the upcoming sermon that closes the series. But it's easy for us to think of Paul as superhuman. Yeah. You know, that he had some ability that we don't have. And it's just not true. He, yeah. We keep saying this in the series. He. Sinner just like we are. Yeah. Broken just like we are. The power's not in Paul. It's not right. in Paul. It's the power yeah. of the Spirit in him. Yeah. And we have that same access. Yeah. Jimmy, you, I think you were going to say something. Did I cut you off? No? Well. No. Do you want to say something on the spot? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, all this conversation, and, and less about Acts 16 in particular, but this is something getting to what you preached about yesterday, um, about, you know, two and five pillar gospel. Right. Right. The the way that I've kind of talked about this, and, and this will make sense after I'm done sharing it and why the reason why I bring it up. Right. The, the two pillar gospels is still the gospel. Right. right. And I often equate it to watching something on YouTube that's in standard def. Hmm. Right. You know, in four eighty P, which is like Nowadays, when you have 8K televisions and displays out there, it's like, well, who would, why would you ever want to watch anything in that definition? Right. Right. Whereas the five pillar gospel is like, it's the same image, but the colors are more vibrant. The picture is much sharper. And I feel like a lot of times when we think about these narratives that we see in the gospels and throughout the epistles, um, the life of Paul, the life of Peter, even the life of James that we were talking about earlier, the temptation is just to look at it in, in 2D or just in that standard definition, like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't agree with it, or that I would have written it differently. Right. But if we were looking at the whole scope, right, the whole spectrum, and realize, wow, God is weaving this unexpected story together, and it is a much richer, more fulfilling story for me to to read, but also God's doing this in us. Right. He's writing this narrative in us, and so often we're saying, hold on, God, I don't want all that vibrancy. I don't want that full spectrum. Yeah. I want to stick with these two things. I want to stay in standard definition. Yeah. So let me control my narrative. Let me say, this is what I'm comfortable with. Surrender, no thank you. 
suffering. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather keep it this way when God's saying, come on, hey, to be a follower of me is to see all of this. And I trust me, this is going to be much better. Mm. That's so good, man. It, you know, one of the things that we said in the series was uh, living a spirit-led, spirit-filled life is no doubt going to take you down paths that you wouldn't have chosen. Yeah. No doubt. But in so doing, a spirit-filled, spirit-led life is going to lead you into God-saturated realities right. that you would have otherwise missed. Yeah. Well, I think we got to make sure we remember, too, that the Spirit's not trying to catch up to where we are. Like, that God is before us, behind us, and He's going to be coming on along after us continuously. Like, he, we aren't somehow, like, inside or outside of His, uh, his sovereign work. Like I think about like in the opening of Acts 18, which hopefully everybody's not, you know, hopefully this is post-sermon, so don't, don't, I won't ruin anything. But in Acts 18, Paul shows up in Corinth and the very first thing that happens is he encounters this couple who has fled from Rome because Claudius the emperor has uh, cast all the Jews out of Rome. And based on what we know of this period of Roman history, the reason they've been cast out of Rome is because there's controversy about this figure called Crestus, who they're fairly certain is Christ. It's just a, it's an interpolation of like a, a yeah. shift of the word. Mm-hmm. And there's this controversy among the Jews about the nature of Jesus. Is he the Messiah? And it's causing so much of an uproar in Rome, which that Claudius basically goes, I'm kicking all the Jews out because I don't want to deal with this. So he boots them from the city, which is fascinating because Paul's never gone to Rome. Like the gospel's ahead of Paul. Mm. Like the spirit is advancing to places where the apostles have not yet gone. And, and that's the work of God. God's the missionary, not us. We just get to join him in something that he is already engaged in and, and is better at than we are. Yeah. That's awesome. So It's so good. It's so good. Well, we could keep talking. There's so much that we could just keep digging into with Acts. But uh, hopefully, if you've been uh, tuning in to this series uh, on Sunday mornings or on our podcast with us, uh, hopefully this has been a series that has uh, done what the title suggests that it's brought renewal in your life, uh, perhaps even radical renewal in the sense of you understanding more and more of what God's doing, how he established his church in the very beginning and how he's continuing even now to grow his church in the same means through the power of the gospel of grace and through the power of his spirit within us, all unto the lordship of Christ in each one of us and through us. So, uh, man, such good stuff. Can't wait for part three. We'll do part three of Acts next year in 2022. Don't know exactly those dates yet, but uh, we'll we'll get through another, I don't know, we'll see, five, six, seven chapters of Acts next year and uh, see where the Lord leads us in that. Be sure and check out our other podcasts as well. Uh, you can go to our website, you can go on our app, and you can see all of the Digging Deeper podcasts along with our other uh, podcast stream that we do called Thinking Biblically where we've discussed a lot of good stuff in that one as well. Jimmy, Caleb, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, You guys, such a blessing to me. Grateful for you and to our church. Until next time, be blessed. 